it is time to tune up the band and look i know it's a very obvious one to do but i'm afraid i've got some bad news <laughs> for it is another episode of the sweet chinwag podcast i am sam alongside dan and reardon as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling chaps it hasn't been a while for everybody listening but it has been a little bit of a while I know that you two have been abroad. How are you? And how were your holidays? How do I get out of this chicken shit country? <laughs> Was it that good? No, no. I had a great time, which we will talk about later on. But I missed you guys. So I, it's good to be back. I genuinely have missed you two, like, quite a bit this week, the past couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, it was very good. It was very good. Mm. Um, as I as I said to many of my friends and uh, people while I was there, it is hilarious the difference between finding allergy safe stuff in Spain than it is here. <laughs> to all the people listening to this, if you have like a common food allergy, or especially gluten or dairy, you're getting packed in over here. <laughs> oh, wow. Spain Spain says, nah, don't worry about it. We'll put this on everything. I bought a pack of ham and it said specifically, no gluten, no milk. Wow. We're getting shredded over here. As a as a city, would you tell me that, Dan? Maybe that's because, you know, if, if we keep doing that to all our food products, there will be a bunch of crusty old men that thinking that, you know, this is council culture gone mad. <laughs> but people... I want to make sure people don't die when they eat. Exactly. Exactly. Which makes the whole argument stupid. <laughs> anyway... We give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever and always, pending. I'm afraid I've got some bad news for anyone who thinks that we are in fact not pending, because we always are pending and always will be. Oh, so before we get on to this really like an episode that kind of unexpectedly make me really hyped to talk about you two about bad news brown it is time to visit dan for this week's wrestling news dun, 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 dun. wrestling news <laughs> let's start off with uh i think should we say <clears throat> uh do you want to start off with uh, the AEW debut of Katsuyori Shibata, or do we talk about Rick Ross appearing in AEW? Which one do we want? Can we start with Dynamite and talking about how Rick Ross absolutely stole the show? <laughs> so I, I will. I'm not going to lie to you. Of all weeks, this is one week where I am actually like I know thanks for being like away. I actually know nothing, which is what's been going on with wrestling. So I have to. Rick, am I thinking of? Are we thinking of the same Rick Ross? Yes, is, as in yes. Rick Ross, the rapper Rick Ross, as in the one with all the really cursed bars, Rick Ross. Yes. I... Yes. He was. Uh... Uh, yes, he appeared with uh, Swerve <laughs> in a backstage segment. Uh, uh, and has become one of possibly the most gift moments in wrestling this year. Accusations! False accusations! 
<laughs> so yes, Rick Ross has now appeared in AEW, which basically solidifies that AEW is the company that is integrating music with wrestling and doing it really well. May I add? Sure, it's no. I'm sure they haven't got Bad Bunny yet. <laughs> it's all right. It'll happen soon enough. Just remember, don't look up some of Rick Ross's bars. Or that is if that, you're not, like feeling bad about yourself. That is very one. true. All I will say is to balance this out, we now have we've had Rick Ross now with with Swerve. So I feel like on the on the flip side of that, I feel like Keith Lee needs someone that balances him out perfectly. And I think he may maybe Horikoshi, you know, the mangaka for uh, for My Hero Academia would be perfect. Basically, I want any kind of sh- shonen mangaka to kind of partner with Keith Lee and I think it would be perfect. Well, I was saying I think Keith Lee should have, like, a scientist walk out of him just for the sake of, like, sounding smart so we get, like, Keith Lee and Michio Kaku. Yes. (laughs) Keith Lee and Brian Cox. Swerve gets Rick Ross. Keith Lee gets, like, Michio Kaku. uh, Jay was saying saying the other day Professor Brian Cox, but I'll be honest, I don't like that idea. Keith, with the millions and millions of stars in our galaxy. You're that the one is, that shines the voice, brightest. His voice too weird. <laughs> it's not good for a wrestling promo, is it? <laughs> the basic concept of a promo is... <laughs> but um, no, it was actually really funny to see... It was it was really funny to see Rick Ross in AEW, and again, just making an, uh, such a gifable moment with accusations <laughs> by shouting accusations. Um, Rampage, man. Let's talk about Rampage and the opening contest for the All Atlantic Championship: Orange Cassidy versus Katsuyori Shibata. <laughs> what a fever dream! What absolute fever dream, and what a freaking match it was. It was such a good match. Imagine, you are, you have a reputation for being the most like straight-laced wrestler of all time, and then your two options for matches are um, Funny Pockets Man and the best wrestler of all time. Yes. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, Reardon, but Shibata, when he wanted to kind of start working with AEW, he said, I want two of my matches there to be with Orange Cassidy and Brian Danielson. <laughs> that is a eclectic mix, to say the least. <laughs> also, it's proof enough to anybody who does still doubt him and think he's not a good wrestler. I think you kind of need to start eating your words because if someone as was one of the greatest in Shibata is saying, I want to work with you, you must be doing something right. At the very least, you've got to be sure that you, like, that's the ultimate safe hand cosine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, needless to say, it was an absolute, like... A great match. Both of them playing into both of their strengths really, really well throughout this match. Shibata, uh, not, I was going to say, not being as stiff as he used to, that makes sense considering, you know, what happened to Shibata to lay him off for so long. Um, Cassidy playing into his comedy shtick to the point where even Shibata was mocking him and doing the, the, like, doing the lazy kicks. All of this... 
and we had Mike Tyson on commentary as well. <laughs> this is why I, I would say there's no business like wrestling. Because actually, what the fuck? Yeah, that is that is literally like... And may, I, and may I say, Reardon, Tyson was actually good on commentary. <laughs> You know, I'm actually not that surprised, to be quite honest with you. It was a you, because I can't I can't believe this pops up. If you like thanks to my dad who sometimes pops in and listens to his podcast, you will know that like Mike Tyson, modern Mike Tyson is actually quite the airite speaker, mm. which which you, you just kind of have to accept as a thing. <laughs> Otherwise, you will just... That might be the thing that finally just breaks you. <laughs> it was really cool to hear Mike Tyson not knowing or very little of who Shibata is to suddenly becoming a massive fan of Shibata's by the end. It was Frankly, my, my personal favorite thing was I felt like just randomly at times he was just saying suplex. Yes, as I said to you, it was so obvious that Tony Khan was feeding him lines through his headsets. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, no, it was a tr- tremendous, tremendous uh, match. Um, not a bad, all, in all honesty, kind of elevated what would have been a kind of a bog-standard rampage as well. Um so I'm really glad. I think it made sense as well to put that as the opener as well. It made perfect sense to put that as the opener. Um, also, kind of uh, shout outs to Ricky Starks. I think he's getting his. I think he's getting his props, everybody, because he had his own segment in on Rampage, and it was really good. Like we all know, Ricky Starks can be. That said, though, there is going to be an Eliminator tournament to determine the number one contender for the AEW Championship that will culminate in the finals at full gear. Um, I can't remember for the life of me who is um, uh, who is um, in this tournament. All I do know is that I know Eddie Kingston's in there, and I do know that Ricky Starks is also in there as well. I'll see if I can pull it up real, real quick. Um, that being said, there was also announced a four-way for the Ring of Honor Championship as well, which to me kind of makes no sense that has to be on full gear. I would have thought they would have done it at Final Battle, to be quite honest. It makes sense. It's the end of year pay-per-view for Ring of Honor. It looks like they're really pressing forward for a... It seems like they might have a TV deal very close up. So I would have thought that would have made sense. Eh. Also, to... What we have... Oh. We have Eddie Kingston versus Ethan Page. Ooh. Uh, Bandido versus Roosh. Mm. Archer versus Ricky Starks. And Brian Cage versus Dante Martin as our first round matches. I think it's going to be Starks and Kingston in the finals. I think that's the way to go. <laughs> it makes the most logical sense, especially considering if it's going to go the way it's going to go. It looks to see. It looks to be... MJF might possibly be AEW champion by the time full gear is all said and done. Um, as I said, Ring of Honor World Championship match at full gear. We've got Chris Jericho, the defending champion, going up against uh, Brian, Claudio, and Sammy Guevara. Two of those people I like in there. <laughs> the other person, eh, not yeah. entirely 100% sure on, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but as I said, I can't understand why this is on full gear when it could be final battle. It may, it would made, it would have made a lot more sense for it to be on final battle, honestly. 
because I feel like, as I said, with the TV deal imminent, it makes sense to draw numbers into that pay-per-view by having a big marquee match like a four-way. But hey oh, I'm not the one who's penning the matches together. Well, uh, that said, though, um, there was another defense of the Ring of Honor Championship on Dynamite. Who should return? None other than Colt Cabana, which kicked up an absolute kind of shitstorm online uh, when you either one side or the other. Um, it was interesting to see the fallout of Colt Cabana making a return to AEW after all this time, and especially after all that happened at All Out. What are your thoughts on Colt Cabana kind of returning? Uh, apparently, it, called, it gave people a bit of a morale boost, actually, backstage. I mean, yeah, probably yeah. because they're like, oh, okay, well, the situation around him's like been resolved in some way, but also just like... It, it feels petty. I agree. To a certain degree, it, yeah. Yeah, it feels like someone is throwing gasoline onto a fire. I. Mm. It, that's what it sounds like because, to me. Because I get it, in that it's feel good that, you know, Cabana's back, Cabana's wrestling, Cabana's on AEW, and it kind of sheds light on the speculation about, like, oh, was he being kept off TV because of Punk? Which, when CM Punk is then out of the equation and Chris Jericho goes, I want Cabana, so I'm going to get Cabana. Hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it really benefits anyone. No, I, I exactly. Exactly. It's just kind of a thing of being like, hmm. oh, look what I can do. Oh, I have Colt Cabana now. I mean, if it were up to me, I know. Jericho's going for this whole crusade of stuff. The last person I would have thought as to a former champion would have been a former tag team champion. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's, hey, there's, to kiss you more, Shima. I love the, I love the idea. The problem is, though, is that the, the unfortunately, past ROH champions has aged horrifically. <laughs> Oh, god damn it, you're right. So, I, would have, I would have preferred to see Daniels, honestly. He could still go at his age. And he's a former so like, Ring of Honor champion. <laughs> so, like, the, the thing is, right, you could have great matches. You could have, like, Daniels. I reckon Homicide could still get a decent match out of Chris Jericho. I reckon so. Um, And, you know, you could then go, like, f- further forward into history. Like, you had, like... Dalton Castle, and you could probably have some more people from around that time. Matt Taven? Yeah, dare I, I was going to say, dare I say Matt Taven before the people who still hate Matt Taven for some reason? I can't um, understand that. Me. <laughs> I dislike Matt Taven for that one specific time in history. Everything else, I'm fine with. Yeah. Um, And all of that. But then, you know, they go, or well, they, I said like Davey Richards as well, we could probably get a strong match out of. Hmm. The other side of it is that a lot of the other people don't really work anymore. Yeah. Where's Xavier when you need him? Fucking yeah. (laughs) Shout out Xavier. Um, Because, I mean, if if I was being forced to watch low-key in AEW in 2022, (laughs) I would give up. 
I was gonna <laughs> say, sorry. could you have imagined Loki coming out? But I don't want to think that now because that's blurst. That's so blurst. Loki and Chris Jericho in two thousand and two, <laughs> when both of them are deep in the pipeline. <laughs> Jesus Christ, no. Like, Loki would be there and see someone else on the show do a move that was similar to one he did, like, 14 years ago and then, like, try and beat them up or something. And he'll see Claudio backstage and still won't want to put him over. <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if the problem with them getting Loki is that he doesn't want to lose to Chris Jericho. Thing is, I kind of would sympathize with Loki in that regard. NXT. He's still bitter from NXT, like, 2013. <laughs> Oh, that would have been so weird to see. Uh, but the gear, like, it's all, you know, it's all coming to a head now. We've got full gear coming up. It looks to be quite exciting, but once we get, well, I mean, once we get near to it, we will make our predictions. Over on the other side, did any of you see SmackDown? I did not. No, there's only one story that I've been following from WWE recently, and it's part of the start. Well, it's partially related to the thing that we said we would not talk about exactly I'm willing to talk about it in this i'm willing to talk about it in this particular case um before that though may i just say yeah. terrific main event on last night's smackdown uh mm -hmm. gunter versus Rey mysterio for the ic title holy crap at 48 years young Rey mysterio's never lost it even with surgery five times in my left knee he's just when he gets someone who works with him so well, he just... Damn, he's a thing of beauty. And, man, Volta is just... Oh, he's so good. And he works so well with Ray in this match. It was incredible. Genuinely, I can't... It's like, for the first time, I could... Like, for the first time in a very long time, I can go say, you need to watch a main event on a WWE show. It's nice to say that, you know? It's really nice to say that. And and the fact that Volta is main eventing a SmackDown as well. Fuck yes, Triple H. Thumbs up from me. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Even if you still manage to keep your father-in-law's really weird deal with that thing and that country. And that. <laughs> You're still doing a good job. That's a good enough segue I'm going to give to you, Dan. <laughs> okay, the only story I want to talk about because of this, and I know we said we won't be doing any coverage of Crown Jewel. We're still not doing any coverage of Crown Jewel. Yeah. I just want to point out the... I was going to say hilarity, the irony of a Saudi crowd chanting We Want Sammy for Sami Zayn, who cannot go to, who cannot go to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Oh, the irony. Oh, God. This man literally cannot travel to the country. <laughs> Maybe they're chanting for the French-Canadian side of Sammy and not nor, the nor, Syrian nor, side nor, of Sammy. Nor, nor, nor does he have any particular desire to. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it, it's frankly incredible. <laughs> This is this is all by the like this is all by the side to say again, we said this on our Twitter, we won't be covering Crown Jewel or anything nope. to do with Crown Jewel, nor nope. we'll be talking about it on Twitter or any of our socials. So don't ask us about it. <laughs> I have no interest um, or no reason to watch that show, which as of recording is apparently coming up. The pre show's coming up in about half an hour's time. Still not gonna watch it. <laughs> um 
which also like by the by um go read brandon first and fred about why this whole situation is even more problematic than it is in itself there you go good really good fred there are layers to this. Oh, very God. deep oh, layers. Yeah. Very deep layers. Oh, oh, yeah. oh no. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. This is okay. disregarding the fact that there was a whole fear about like a, a threat of imminent attack. Oh yeah, that's that's Navy, that's like, minus yesterday. that. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on? <laughs> yeah. And this is why we don't cover pay that to, pay attention to it on this show moving <laughs> on so with that i mean the the little bit of news kind of like to kind of wrap things up we have gcw now making their big announcement that they're moving to fight plus Eh, a little bit disappointed in that it's a shame and i blame jake paul solely for that <laughs> see i'm not too mad at it it just depends on how the model's going to work. Because if 499 gets you access to past shows... That's all I want to know, is if can you fine. get access to past shows. If you still have to pay, like, 10.99 for each show anyway, <laughs> what's the fucking point? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Paying, like, my problem with GCW is obviously having to pay, like, 30 quid per show. That's why I only blood the blood sports. <laughs> They do, and like you know, with like collective weekend, the collective package was like a hundred and fifty quid, mm. which like get your bag, absolutely. <laughs> but also, like, there's no way that everyone that wants to watch your show can reasonably do that. Exactly. So if Fight Plus is allowing a more affordable option, saying it's four ninety nine, and you get all the par shows, and then you get like a discount for upcoming ones that's fine but then the, the base price of shows anyway has to come down exactly exactly it has it will to be, it will be weird to see how it works but i'm 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 willing to i'm willing to see i'm willing to as well a couple of other things as well to kind of uh dust off or to kind of like tie this up uh becky lynch making an appearance in Young Rock, playing Cindy Lauper, which I think is just an inspired bit of casting. I showed you the picture the other day of Becky Lynch in full Cindy Lauper regalia. Mwah. This is your, this is your uh, daily reminder that Cindy, La- Cindy Lauper should be in the Hall of Fame. Abso-freaking-lutely. And every day, and every day she isn't is a crime. <laughs> and the the final little bit it's just a kind of little something here but we don't know how how true it is sasha banks is alluding to something a return of some sorts can't be a hundred percent sure on what that is could be a return to professional wrestling might be a return to star wars who knows either way i'm kind of excited to see what she does it'll probably be cool either way Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because I kind of miss Sasha Banks. She was a pretty good part of the women's division, um, and I just feel it's kind of there. It's I hate to say it, it just sometimes feels like the women's division has been a little bit on standby. Thank God for Bianca Belair because she's been an absolutely outstanding champion. Who did the following though? It kind of just has been anyway. <laughs> yeah. Even more so, though, with her uh, with her gone. But I'm interested to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I hope she's doing well. Either way, like, I'll say it to you two here right now. 
it'd be really freaking cool if we if we'd be able to see Sasha in Japan. Oh, the Sasha Stardom run. That would be that would be good to see. That's all That's I want to see, man. <laughs> but with that, um, if anything else that that's anything else that you know in the news, Dan. No, that's it for now. Awesome. It's time for recommendation corner. Reardon, what have you got for us this week? Guys, how do you feel about Central Europe? I've never been, but I'm I've always okay. wanted to go. <laughs> Well, you guys are in luck because Central Europe is a thing that exists. Thank the gods. Well, yes, I mean, I mean, right. if if we, I mean, the country we live in, apparently it doesn't because we've now separated. But, you know, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not we're not talking about that right now. What we are talking about is Berlin. Ooh. Berlin, the the capital city of Germany, and an absolute delight. I had a great, great time in Berlin. <laughs> full of, full of like, it is just this absolute cavalcade. It is beautiful. It is full of history and bullet holes, seriously. <laughs> like, there are, like, it's kind of disconcerting to see like a, a new bit of a building and then on go to eye level you just see ah ah yes there was a battle here it was a uh, pretty bad <laughs> like it's like i can't like i can't like it, the funny thing about it is that you it kind of like you forget until you remember then it's like oh oh right <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but with the, like but it is honestly a fascinating beautiful wonderful city. I had a great time here. It is if you are an English speaker, it is disturbing how much of it is catered to you. Like half of like basically almost half of everything has English options. Like it's actually <laughs> kind of insane. Someone will be there and say that their English isn't very good and then just like pull out like a perfectly grammatically correct sentence. <laughs> it really is like that. It seriously is like that. It is it it actually made me feel really bad and I'm gonna be trying to learn a little bit of German. Just because it I it felt so like like when you're going to literally every place and there is not either a either like a English menu or just an English side to the menu, you start to feel like I'm being babied here. Nah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta learn something other other than Dunker. The like, it's probably got how I'm gonna feel like once I go to Japan. Honestly, <laughs> just like, oh man. But no, it is wonderful, glorious countries and a great city. So that is definitely my recommendation. I will be going again. Heck yeah. No, I'm glad to hear that because I've always, it's one of those places where I've always wanted to, been very curious as to go to. Uh, but to hear that it's actually a really cool place, I am, I think that's convinced me a little bit more, Reardon. Hell yeah. Awesome. Alrighty. Great recommendation, Reardon. Great recommendation. It's almost like you were scouting for us as well for this week's recommendation corner, just to, as an excuse to go on holiday. 
Hey, hey, sounds good to me. <laughs> Alrighty, with all of that being said, let us get on and continue our celebration of the best in wrestling throughout Black History Month. Yes, I know it's November, shush. Uh, with our retrospective on Bad News Brown. Fellas, what is your knowledge slash experience of Bad News Brown and his run within the golden age of the WWF? I actually don't have a lot of memories on it, in all honesty. Hmm. Which is kind of funny. You think I would remember, but I actually don't. So this is going to be an interesting, like, get resetting my brain episode. <laughs> I have the most surface level. I know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, this is one I've been really excited about to do, because... The more you look into him, not only is Bad News Brand such an interesting dude, but how he indirectly influenced quite a number of wrestlers, even Stone Cold Steve Austin. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, as always with these retrospectives, let us start right at the beginning. Born Alan James Coadge in October of 1943, he was, uh, he was born in Harlem, New York, and raised in St. Albans, Queens, attending the Thomas A. Edison High School. Coadge was kind of a standout student, especially within the sporting realm, as usually is the case with these retrospectives when we talk about them. But shortly after graduating in 1962, he would take odd jobs here, there, and everywhere in the Queens area, working uh, in a bakery, working with a butcher's, and eventually becoming a foreman. This would lead us into his early life and career as a judoka. Ah. Ah. This man is very experienced in the world of ju judo. So Coadge became training in judo under the, under the tutelage of one Jerome Mackey after seeing a poster for his dojo in a New York City subway when he was just 15. He took it up for a little bit of time. And of course, after he graduated, took odd jobs here and there in a kind of kind of fell out with it a little because he never had the time to take up judo up until 1964 when he started to really begin not only learning more but actually partake in a professional career at the relatively late age of 22 years old after seven months as a white belt he ended up placing first in the chicago invitational tournament coach though would go on to achieve black belt in two and a half years which is wow. crazy what? oh wait what and this was a proper course yeah yeah and after five years he was named a sandan which is one of the highest uh, yeah. dans in uh, dan ranks in judo now it was said that coadge practiced what was known as a classical style which favored mm -hmm. throws uh being the uh, his favored throws being the uchigari and the taiotoshi he would also during this time, study judo and aikido under the famed Katsuo Watanabe, who awarded him the rank of Shodan in, in, under aikido as well. Okay. So, some of his accomplishments during this time. He would go on to win the Amateur Athletic Union Judo Championship in the heavyweight class in 1966, 1968, 1969... 1970 and 1975 as well 
as winning the Open Division tournament in 1970. He became a two-time champion in 1970. Just leave some talent for the rest of us. Too easy. Too easy. (laughs) He what is this? I'm sorry. This t- relax, my guy. What is this? <laughs> he also competed for America in the Pan American Games, winning two gold medals in the heavyweight class during the Winnipeg Games in 1967 and the Mexico City Games in 1975. With all of this experience already under his belt, he decided to relocate to Japan for two years in 1970, where he studied at Nihon University, majoring and minoring in judo. So he was just like, nah, I'm just doing judo. Yeah, yeah, wait, wait. So, like, how do you major and minor in judo? Is it like the history of judo or... Like, I would imagine the minor would have definitely been a more of like a theoretical judo um, course, surely. So the dude decides not only am I going to know the the actual how how to how to do judo, I'm going to learn the science of judo. <laughs> the the. I mean, that's like because I guess in a sense, if we're thinking about that in academic terms you're talking like biomechanics mm. you're talking um uh, i phys- guess phys- physiology yeah i guess i guess that would be like a, a sports science kind of course yeah. surely it had to be mm, that is okay it was during that little time as well we'll get to some we'll get back to this little time later that he caught the eye of one antonio anoki and as I said, we'll get back to him very soon. All of this was gearing up to Coaj actually trying to uh, be part of the American team for judo in the Olympics in 1972. But unfortunately, that was kind of stopped dead in its tracks after he suffered a severe knee, knee injury during the Olympic trials in a bout with famed American judoka Jimmy Woolley. This, of course, unable rendered, rendered him unable to compete in the 72 Summer Olympics. But upon recovering, he began training for the 76 Olympic Games in Montreal. He was initially excluded from the judo team until a class action lawsuit was filed against the United States Olympic Committee by the United States Judo, judo Association. Is there any like details as to why? What was the reasoning he was barred? From what I gathered, and from what from Coaj said, it might have been due to race. Ooh. yeah, yeah, that that tracks. <laughs> we're we're like, what? What, what was this? Nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. Oh, oh. So six years out from the from the <laughs> from the heyday of the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That tracks. So fortunately, I'm kind of really like it was nice to know that the judo association actually had his back and was like, no, we want him on the team because he's bloody good at what he does. And mm. he and he proved it by becoming the second American to win a medal in the 1976 Olympics. Kawaj in the heavyweight class, would go on to win bronze in the in the in the seventy six Montreal Games. 
bloody good accomplishment considering everything he went through and being a gold medalist in the Pan American Games, winning all of these amateur um, accolades and eventually going over to Japan to actually master judo. Hell of a thing to win a bronze medal when, as I said, the second person, the second American to win a medal in judo. This Hell victory yeah. also made him the first African-American to win a solo Olympic Games medal in a sport other than boxing or track and field. That's kind of crazy to think about. Because, mm. mm. I mean, when you think about the breadth of things that take place at the Olympics... Exactly. You would think that there would have been someone in one of a sport. Exactly. You'd think outside of those two disciplines, you would have thought at least that there would have been someone. But no, it's crazy to think that. Crazy to think that. But Kobaj, after that bronze medal win, would officially retire from competitive judo due to frustrations surrounding the internal politics, especially when it comes to the Olympic Association and even, indeed, to the judo in, uh, industry itself. He would go on to hold on a, num a number of other jobs, including briefly working as a bodyguard for Aretha Franklin. And there's the, there's the, the, oh, no, there's oh the tease God. I was going for in the last now episode. That is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> All of that before he decided to train to become a professional wrestler under the suggestion of one Antonio Anoki, who had followed his career ever since he just like he caught that he was caught on uh, Kobaj caught Anoki's radar when he attended Nihon University. He began. No, but I can guarantee. I can guarantee Antonio Anoki was at that Olympic Games. Yeah. Yes. Watching, and he was watching shoot wrestling and he was watching judo and he was like, we can bring this guy in. He'll be brilliant. <laughs> I can guarantee he definitely was that I'm, like that. I'm certain that Inoki was at the freestyle wrestling with a fucking notepad <laughs> taking down the names of everyone he could. Yes. Absolutely, because it was one year later in 1977, the beginning of 1977, that Anoki invited Koaj to train in the New Japan Dojo. And in October of the same year, he debuted, which means that Inoki definitely saw something in Koaj and apparently took to it like a fish to water. I mean, in a weird way, though. I can imagine that something like judo translates pretty well. You'd think it'd be if not if perfectly. Not, I mean, of course, amateur wrestling is probably the much better fit, but grappling combat sports, it can't be too far off to say that it's not a bad base to start off with judo. Because no. you have the you have the essence of grappling. Judo has throws and it has submission. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, depending on the style that you do and what the rules of your competition are, depend. Exactly. But, you know, even even within that, though, you know, when you're sparring, you're not going full force. You're not trying to intentionally hurt someone. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's transition there. I would think so. He would, have, he would originally debut 
uh, under his name, under his birth name, Alan Coadge, before adopting the ring name under the uh, under the suggestion of Antonio Inoki as Buffalo Allen. <laughs> That's very Antonio Inoki. <laughs> <laughs> He would go on then to intermittently wrestle for New Japan over the next 15 years, culminating with a lot of matches here and there with such people such as Riki Choshu, Seiji Sakaguchi, the original Tiger Mask, basically anyone who's anyone within the 70s and 80s. Alan definitely wrestled once or twice. During 1978... He ended up making a one-off appearance for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Nice. Defeating the jobber Frank Williams at a live event under his name of Alan Coadge. He would return, though, in 1979 for a little one-off appearance and would wrestle for the WWWF for the remainder of the year, appearing on several episodes of WWF Championship Wrestling. Late in 79, at Madison Square Garden, teaming with Jojo Andrews, one of his, uh, one of his mutual friends that he made during his time in Canada, Coadge would challenge for the Japanese Tag Team Championships against Ricky Choshu and Seiji Shakaguchi. He was unsuccessful when he when his partner Andrews would submit to a Boston Crab by Sakaguchi in a match that lasted just under 10 minutes. For all intents and purposes, Vince Senior, apparently a really nice guy to work with, and not, that isn't just what you know Alan said. Apparently, the consensus for a lot of people during that time was that Vince Senior, Senior was an absolute joy to work for. Well, that's kind of interesting. It's interesting, though, how like you know you go from that time in Japan to then just one-off appearances, and I mean a nineteen ninety a nineteen seventy nine card for. The Japanese tag team championship with Ricky Choshu and Seiji Sakaguchi. <laughs> I know it sounds silly with me saying it. Oh, like how that. the universe changed in about a few years from that moment. <laughs> mm. So after returning to Japan, uh, from Japan, Alan would set up his home in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and it was during this time that he struck up a friendship with Stu Hart. And in 1982, after his little brief run within the WWWF, he would find a home in Stu Hart's Stampede Wrestling. Of course. Perfect. He, he would remain with the company from 82 until 1988, where he also served in some tours of Australia and Florida during that time for Stampede Wrestling and had matches with wrestlers such as Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Davey Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, to which he references Dynamite Kid as probably one of his favourite competitors that he ever faced off with. Apparently he said, it felt like it did not feel like a job and I could turn off my brain every time I fought the Dynamite Kid. (laughs) Now here's a little fun fact that made me laugh during my research of his time in Stampede Wrestling and going through video clips of Bad News Alan during this time. He would refer to himself during promos and interviews, and I shit you not, as the ultimate warrior. Oh my god. Actual ultimate warrior? Get fucked. This is the warrior now. I mean, the man literally studied judo. (laughs) I think he gets to be called the ultimate warrior. (laughs) Like... Like, when you get so deep into the weeds with judo... I, I think, yeah, I think it's a bit of a travesty that you don't get to be called the ultimate warrior. Exactly. Exactly. 
I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Because now whenever people say to me, oh, like, oh, you like wrestling, you like Ultimate Warrior, I'd be like, yeah, I love Bad News Brown. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in 1988, Alan would return to the WWF. This time being billed as Bad News Brown, and this is where he achieved his greatest notoriety in his career. Now. The comparison, the reason I made the comparison to Stone Cold Steve Austin is kind of kind of really easy when you get to look at it, what Bad News Brown's character was. His characteristics were that he was, uh, he, he never smiled, he always kind of remained very stoic and angry, or the only kind of emotion he would ever show was kind of being very gleeful at inflicting punishment to his opponents. And it was strange because... Of course, in the golden age of the WWF, it was very cut and dry, very black and white, where you had good guys and bad guys, and there was no in between. You had like the like the virtuous guys that you know praised the virtues of saying your prayers, eating your vitamins, all of that stuff, and then you had the dirty heels that would do absolutely anything to to get a win and to one up on on the on the baby faces. But there was something that was never really captivated or captivated on during that time and that was just being that very gray area of not trusting anyone and being your own person the anti-hero in a sense i love that idea because it's a part of it's a part of wrestling that i would i like to talk more about which is i feel like wrestling as an industry struggles a lot with characterization mm. <laughs> because it's either you're good or you're bad and basically the only motivation people have is to win the title exactly but it's like that's just not how people work <laughs> and that was the that was a really different thing for brown as well he didn't side with anyone he didn't make alliances he was his own person a recluse if you will who remained by himself, didn't trust anybody, and was out for himself and no one else. But another thing that really made me interesting when you talked about that, Dan, is his character, and even as he said in subsequent interviews outside of it, he could have cared less about winning championships. He just wanted to beat people up. Now, yeah, I say all of this... so much! <laughs> and I say this, guys, doesn't this sound really familiar to a guy that came up in 1996 in the WWF? <laughs> Trust nobody. <laughs> Somewhere in oh Texas, Austin was going, I need to shave my head and wear black trunks. <laughs> And that's it's why the, it's, it's the it's the thing about why I talk about why I love. There's a certain section of New Japan wrestlers <laughs> <laughs> from like the late nineties, <laughs> <laughs> who, in terms of work rate, are the most like base wrestlers ever. <laughs> what? Like in New Japan, in New Japan terms. They're just default CAWs of each other. <laughs> <laughs> but the simple fact is, they just go into matches and they're like, I want to 
beat the shit out of someone <laughs> and that's it my favorite all they care about my favorite example of brown being like such a loner and a recluse was that when he was picked two times to be part of like heel teams for survivor series matches in 88 and 89 he just walked out because he just didn't want to be a part of this he said why am i why am i here I hate all of you. I'm not being a part of this. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I love, I love that shit. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the... I can't remember what... I can't remember who it is. It's a match from, like, 2000s All Japan. Mm. Mm. And literally just over the course of the match... Um, the per- like one of the one of the wrestlers just like he just knows he's not gonna win. Mm. So he just go he's he just defaults to all right. Can't beat him. I can beat him up though. Yes. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing I love. It's about like this. Like I couldn't care less about championships. I just want to fight people. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. From all intents and purposes, though, this was all this was a combination of Alan and Vince kind of coming together for what a character would be. Apparently, a lot of it, though, was just basically um, Alan himself being like, I want this sort of character. You're not going to say no. And he's was like, I love it. Are you going to argue with a man who's a bronze medal judoka? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, Dusty Rhodes tried to, and that almost cost him. <laughs> Would you like to, all right, all right, I will say this before I get onto some of his memorable run, most memorable moments in his run in the WWF. There is a backstage story with Dusty Rhodes. Um, oh, God. I don't know if you guys want to hear it. Would you like to hear it? Oh, I absolutely want to hear this. So during his first kind of little run within the WWF, uh, Dusty was also there as well, um, doing a bit of doing a couple of shows in Madison Square Garden. And for all intents and purposes, um, Dusty all intents was not was a nice guy but kind of didn't know when to shut up and so he was when as uh alan was kind of getting changed and putting his gear on for a match coming up he uh he overheard a conversation between dusty and sd jones another black wrestler in the wwf uh the most famous fact about sd jones being that he had one of the shortest matches in wrestlemania history (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um uh dusty proceeded to kind of drop the end bomb more than several times towards sd jones um in it's not in a seemingly not in an aggressive way but in a kind of friendly friendly this. sort of banter way if you can even call it friendly at that time oh dear uh, to which I, I, I... It sounds so bad when I say I'm fully aware of the exact specific social situation that you are talking about, (laughs) and I've seen people in that exact specific situation. (laughs) To which Alan went went to S.D. Jones after he had his conversation with Dustin and go, hey, you're going to let him talk to you like that. Don't let him ever fucking talk to you like that. And so it was several months later that Alan would end up having a tag match with Stan Hansen against the team of Dusty Rhodes and Antonio Inoki. <laughs> Hansen and Alan beat the everlasting shit out of Dusty, but the original finish was going to have Dusty take the uh, win um, by pinning Brown. 
He was having none of that and decided to have it switched so that Anoki pinned Brown. <laughs> <laughs> this led to a coat backstage coach altercation, not like a like a like a fight, fist fight, but a really funny moment where they're all getting on the coach to go back. Hanson and Brown are sat together. Anoki comes in, sits down. Dusty comes in and starts crying and looks to Hanson and Alan and goes, "Why were you sniffing me, man?" I didn't deserve that. <laughs> oh. Well, I okay. There, there's many parts about that I, I love. Yeah. The first, the first, all of that, and the concept of <laughs> Bad News Brown and Stan Hansen, <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, and Antonio Inoki. Oh, at Madison Square Garden, may I add as well? Right. Right, and all of all of this happening, and then Brown hearing it was like, okay, just so you know, Dusty's gonna pin you. Nah, I ain't having that shit. <laughs> and then nope. they just turned the match into like gang rules. <laughs> What's funny is that Alan was well respected backstage to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter whether win, lose. I'll do. I'll work with you no matter what, and we'll make some. We'll make some good money. We'll have a great match. But it was only very rare occasions if he ever pissed him off would he be like nah I ain't helping you and Dusty was a prime really example weird. of that this is also really weird but I have a weird feeling that for some reason and mm. oh, Antonio you know Antonio Noki was like yeah man uh, like he's <laughs> yeah, gonna fight Inoki him was probably there and went I'm getting the pin sick alright I don't care you yeah. yes. I'm getting absolutely. the pin Absolutely. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's go over some memorable moments during his WWF tenure. He would win the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 4 by last eliminating Bret Hart, who was then in heel after a sneak attack. And he would then follow that up with a brief feud uh, with Macho Man Randy Savage for the WWF Championship. That would, of course, lead to more main event matches and more of Bad News Brown being up on the upper card, which is honestly best place a really good a different sort of heel going up against the established faces made for some really good interesting and compelling matches this of course would end up on a march 11th 1989 edition of saturday night's main event in a very infamous moment where bad news brand took to the microphone towards the ends of his match with hulk hogan and told him that it was time for the ghetto blaster his ghetto blaster being the Inziguri. As he was getting ready to execute it, however, Hogan got out of the way, leading him to miss the move and suffer the eventual loss. Because remember, Hogan's always going over. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's just Hogan moment. Yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I have to bring this up during his little time during the timeline because whenever bad news Brown comes up, we, uh, it inevitably ends up talking about the infamous moment of 1990 and his feud with rowdy roddy piper this started in the 1990 royal rumble when he was eliminated by piper then he then brown himself would legally eliminate uh piper and would lead to brown being ridiculed which would counter by calling piper out for wearing a skirt this ended up with fist fights here there and everywhere and culminated to a match at wrestlemania 6 <sighs> Ah, now this is the infamous match that has been cut from the network and from Peacock, if memory serves me correct, because this is where Roddy Piper fought in his infinite wisdom to kind of get one up on Brown, 
to paint half of his body completely black. Uh. Uh. <sighs> now, Vi- when Brown was told of this, he was in the office with Piper and with Vince. And Vince would go, oh, I've got this terrific idea to kind of generate kind of like the real hatred towards Piper. What he's going to do is he's going to paint half of his body black. And you're going to get really angry about that. And you're going to, you know, you're going to really go for him, be really aggressive. Do you love it? Alan was like, "Uh, sure. To which Piper then was like, okay, that's all good. That's like, pleasure doing business, pleasure seeing you, Vince. Walks out of the office. Brown is still in the office. Door shut. Vince, what the fuck are you thinking? (laughs) To which he then proceeded with that to go over uh, something something that hasn't really been said quite a lot during that time, uh, and especially when thinking about it now. He said, first you're going to let Piper do that, and now, <laughs> with all that's being said, you're going to name Dusty Rhodes' manager Sapphire? Do you realise how offensive that is to black people to call a black woman Dusty's manager Sapphire Vince? To which apparently Vince was very like, oh my God, no, sorry. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was an offense. Oh my God, no, I'm sorry. We'll change that. We get everything sorted. I'll I make sure that... He never did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was never going to change it. Oh, because he thought it was a hilarious idea. And he was all in it's always his law or nobody else's during that time. <laughs> but, um... It's crazy to think, as I've said numerous times to a lot of people, WrestleMania 6 was the very first um, kind of WWF product or content I ever watched because my brother had it on VHS tape. And even at the age of five in that match, I can still remember feeling very uncomfortable about it, but I never knew properly knew the reason why. Yeah. It's just that part of... There should have been a point in this where someone said, this is a bad idea. Mm. But that person didn't exist. Nor exactly. Did that that if they did exist, would they particularly care? Exactly. And it's uh, like, how do you get to this point? It's ridiculous. The original plan was for Piper to go over. And this is when Brown said again one of the, one another one of those times he was like uh no <laughs> that is not happening in any way shape or form and so the match ended up being a double count out okay okay it was a mid- it was originally scheduled to go further the feud after wrestlemania but since both men would agree to lose to each other. It was just scrapped altogether. And instead, um, Bad News Brown would go on to have a feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, which apparently, again, his second favourite opponent to work with. Apparently, him I mean, and Jake was just like thick as thieves in the ring together. Understandable, but I also had like, I, I actually had a physical lump in my stomach going, oh no, what did Jake say to him? Oh, no, no, apparently, for all, See, in- all intents and purposes, Again, Jake was incredibly lovely to to, to Alan. On the, and... See, on the other hand, though, right? Yes, mm. when you hear about Jake, you probably think, "Oh, what the fuck? What did he say?" But in the same time, 
this guy was able to work competent matches while fucking like not even just high as a kite as a jetliner. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think in terms of being a safe hand, Jake was definitely up there. No, that's <laughs> true. That is very true. Like he probably didn't say anything offensive, but he was probably. But I imagine Alan was probably very confused at being around him. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know if you've seen some of those backstage stuff and when they've interviewed Jake the Snake Roberts, he's fucking hell if I can figure out what you're saying. <laughs> Literally, is that what it sounds like? Brown. Brand news. Sorry. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, the feud with Brand News Brown and Jake the State Roberts. There was a very infamous moment where Bad News Brown would end up using a sewer rat against Jake's uh, python. Uh, fun fact the sewer rat was actually a possum. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and that feud would eventually fizzle out with Jake getting the upper hand. And it was also around this time that Bad News Brown was worked into a storyline where he would go on to attack WWF president Jack Tunney on the Brother Love Show after confronting him about not being given WWF championship shots. <laughs> Brown, though, would eventually leave the WWF after SummerSlam 1990, claiming that Vince McMahon had failed to live up to his promise and his contract to make him the company's very first black world champion, which reportedly affected him and his wife quite deeply. I mean, being lied to by your boss is certainly a thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, if you're there and you're being fed a promise, you know, you have... but you really you really have the choice to implicitly believe it. Hmm. I love thinking that. Like, you, you never have any reason, you know. Hmm. Ain't it crazy to think as well during that and time? they follow through that promise, but they never justify why. It's mm. like, oh, shit. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, could you imagine at that time if, if Brown were to become WWF champion? It would have been seismic. It would have been, and it yeah, certainly would have been. It would have been before. It shortly before Ron Simmons became WCW champion as well. Well, it's what two years? Yeah, that, that's that's two years. That's two years prior. And to be fair, no one's ever. I mean, to be fair, it wouldn't be a question at that time. But you're gonna fucking doubt his legitimacy. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of legitimacy, the bronze medal, the bronze medal Olympic judoka. <laughs> Speaking of his legitimacy, though, it was during this time where his toughness became a thing of legend in the wrestling industry. It's considered that there are two incredibly tough guys that came in for the WWF locker room, one of them being Haku, the other one being Bad News Brown. Again, I... Because, I, right. Haku slash Meng is just a force of nature. <laughs> <laughs> like that that man is just somehow built to cause damage <laughs> mm. this man has cultivated the ability to to do damage yeah <laughs> so <laughs> and that's infinitely more scary because again whoever you are in the wrestling business may i remind you this man is a bronze medal olympic judoka <laughs> and two times pan american <laughs> games judo Gold medalist. <laughs> this, it, I'm kidding. You get real. You get real. You merely adopted the dark vibes with this man. 
it's not even, it's not even that though, right? Because it, it, this this is a whole this is a whole side story, but it it it, it reminds me of a thing which I find infinitely hilarious. Mm. Um, it's uh, somewhere near where I live, right? Mm. One of the areas near where I live has a big Brazilian population, and there was a story a couple years ago where someone broke into a house. The problem Mm. with the house that he broke into was that one of the people that lived in it was like a touring BJJ competitor. Oh, no. Who's like a high-level BJJ guy. Oh, no. And naturally, it ended badly for the person that broke into the house. Yes. Mm. And it's one of those many times that I'm there and I, I get the feeling of if you break into someone's house and you see a massive flag on their wall which says, like, whatever, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, you just leave, right? <laughs> right. Like, you're there and you're like, you know what? Whatever's in here. Not I'm worth good. it. <laughs> it's not worth it. So if you're a wrestler... And I know, obviously, at this time, wrestlers may have become like convinced of their own abilities, whatever. And I'm sure plenty of them have gone into fights before. Mm. If you're there and you have the prescience of knowing that this man is a bronze medal Olympic judoka, (laughs) (laughs) whatever your problem is, you go. You know what? I'm gonna allow this. You know. You know, I start to thinking that a lot of problems would be would have been solved if they just if they had known that Kurt Angle was like twenty years away and looked at the damage that man would do. <laughs> it reminds me of the story of when I can't remember who it was. Someone was giving Funaki trouble, and they were they were like getting they were like laughing at him, and so he challenged them to like a shoot grappling session, not knowing that Funaki had been in like UWFI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just all, all reminded me of the famous of um of having Mark of Mark Henry being given like that pan that was extremely yes. hard to bend, and they were all laughing at him. And then he proceeded to, in his rage, bend the pan, and then they shut up real quick. There's I, another. I care, my, favorite, my, my favorite Mark Henry. I'm sorry. This is a whole side. Yes, go my on. Favorite Mark Henry one is um. Mm. Picked up and turned the car in front of them. Oh yes! Like he, oh my god! Like the 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 coach that they were in was like stuck between two cars. And he didn't have space to move it out. So he, he the car that was in front of them. He said that he put like a towel underneath the tow bar, and then just lifted it up and just turned it. So that they had the space. <laughs> and people doubt his legitimacy as a strong man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I, 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 we must reiterate the, the world's strongest man is not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. He literally won it. Basically, if someone, com- if you're a wrestler and someone comes into your promotion and they have shoot credentials, don't question them <laughs> from obviously of- someone mm. might someone might out there, out there be lying but yeah. i don't think you can lie about winning an olympic bronze medal exactly it's like, yeah it's like it's like do not bet your life 
on them being another Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't, 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 don't go on that bet. Don't flip that coin. <laughs> so, oh man, I'm so glad I get to talk about this. So he was, he, his, his toughness comes from a, a kind of a very, uh, a very kind of stoic nature that he would have backstage. Basically, he was saying, I'm there to clock in, do the work, have a good night, clock out, go home. That's the all I'm here wrestler. for. Not if doing... you're a booker, that's the perfect wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and he would say, he's one of his rules when he came in. It's like, look, I'm going to make this abundantly clear. You don't rib me, and I won't rib you. And I will never have a problem with any single person here. And apparently, that caused a lot of people to be like, I don't want to mess with that guy at all. <laughs> He's literally walked in and went, no funny business. Apparently, from all intents and purposes, everyone was quite nice to him. Although he will say, the only person I really actually loved ribbing was Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) That is an absolutely immense amount of power. Oh my God. I loved that when I heard it. I don't know what. I know that Hogan was absolutely molding over that. He was livid. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'm. You know what? I'm. You know who I'm going to troll? I'm going to troll 1980s era Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hogan and Hulk no Hulk one Hulk is going Hulk to stop me. So hard. Oh my. I'm here for no funny business. <laughs> you though, you can get it. <laughs> Uh, for all said, you can't touch me. <laughs> all, all, from his recollection or from, from his interviews and what he stated, Hogan was a nice guy. Says great talker, but he weren't. A, he wasn't a good wrestler at all. <laughs> no, no, he was a nice guy because he knows that, like, of all the men in this locker room, this is the guy that can legitimately end my career. Yes. Not on that. We're like. <laughs> Obviously, finishing up on this month. You know what? Bad News Brown might be one of the most based wrestlers of all time. Yes. Yeah, I'm. Le- I legitimately think is he one of the most is he the one of the most based people we have ever covered on the show? I think like, so. I didn't, I didn't come into this episode expecting this to be the to, to be like the follow through. I could I like, can I regale you with one more story of his toughness before we talk this? It's so based because it involves because it involves Andre the Giant. Oh, <laughs> oh so, no! Oh my God! During on a bus tour, of, uh, on a on a tour bus for New Japan during one of the tours, it could have been probably one of the long kind of like long out drawn tours from Tokyo to Sendai. Andre ended up saying uh, a very loud to the whole tour bus, a very racist comment to the entire bus. Alan overheard it, made the bus driver stop the bus in the middle of the highway. Walked off and demanded Andre get off, get out of his seat and fight him one on one. This this man's actually so based. Andre <laughs> didn't move and immediately apologised for the remark. No, right. <laughs> he was there and just went, "Hi, mate. Stop this real quick. You, me, outside now." <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think it's safe to say we're not even getting to the later part of his career, but I think we've already established that he's probably the most based wrestler <laughs> in the tournament. Oh, yeah. oh my god. He's actually so based. What the... This, this, this guy... <laughs> this guy... Alright, you know what? Bad, bad news, Brown. He's going in the boys' stable. He's going in he's the going boys', in the boys stable. Absolutely. So, in uh, in later into his career, he would continue to work in independent promotions for several more years, including UWFI in Japan. Literally perfect. So, through the course of this, I like have been like lo- occasionally looking at the notes. I saw this and just had to find one. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> That that promotion would have been was like built for that man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He would work a few tours in 1994 in South Africa. He would he would actually end up feuding with an old stampede compadre of his known as Gama Singh. He would also work for Tokyo Pro Wrestling from 97 to 98, and would go on to become a to become a heel comment color commentator for the re- short-lived revival of Stampede wrestling alongside Mauro Ranello. Oh, Ranello's been everywhere. He really has. He really really has. He would go on, though, to retire in 1999 due to knee damage. He would occasionally work for independent shows for close friends in the Calgary area. Even at one point considered starting a promotion, which would end up actually turning into a wrestling school in Canada. uh, Teaming alongside wrestling coach Leo Jean. And eventually eventually also starting one with, uh, with Rick Bogner. The, oh, yes, wow. the fake Razor Ramon out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. <laughs> he would eventually, though, end up at that point becoming a mall security officer in the in the in the town of Airdrie in Alberta, and would go on to have that job up until two thousand and seven, where unfortunately, on March the sixth, he would end up passing away due to a heart attack. Three weeks prior to that, three weeks prior to his uh, to his passing, though he had undergone he had undergone hip replacement surgery. Um, <clears throat> now now it's not known whether the cause what well, that was the cause of the heart attack, but um, what's known is at the age uh, the age of uh, sixty three, gone way too darn soon for my liking. Uh, he he was he was left with uh, with his uh, longtime partner at the time and nine children. Wow, from three previous marriages as well. So, unfortunately, it was it was it was a very um it was a very sad way to end this episode. But honest to goodness, I feel like Bad News Brown deserves all the love that he gets, oh, uh, yeah. and is definitely one of the most based wrestlers I think we've ever talked about. Not just in like Black History Month, but I just think in the entire history of our podcast. No, no, no. Actually, <laughs> actually, so based. This, this, this man gone way too soon and that is so annoying and upsetting but i have to understand the levels that we've got here a winning a bronze medal olympic judo right that's that's one thing going to university in japan to study judo more better (laughs) being discovered by antonio Inoki at the olympics working for obviously working for new japan 
willing to fight Andre the Giant on a highway. (laughs) (laughs) And then agreeing to give no one trouble as long as no one gave him trouble in the locker room, but deciding, I can just mess with Hogan because he knows there's (laughs) nothing he can do to me. Unfathomably based. (laughs) Just... Just an absolute symbol of black excellence in wrestling. For real. (laughs) Like, what? Incredible. Just an incredible life. You know know that sound from TikTok? That's a black king right there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just like, if there was any justice in this world, he would have broken Ric Flair over his knee. Yes, and it would have been so good. But like this, like the thing you look at it and you say, like, I don't know if this is even. A, I don't know if it's a question of time period, mm. because very well respected and very well redeemed during his time, mm. just obviously never got the mainline recognition. Dare I? You know, dare I say that it? maybe later would have been better, but then, you know, like, I I don't necessarily mm, think that's true. I mean, I mean, if it were him and Austin, I, I, I I mean, if Austin weren't about, if say, if they both swapped roles, I definitely think we could probably be seeing Alan as one of the most popular wrestlers in the history of pro wrestling. I think, I think it's, I think it's very, It's very interesting because I think for someone like him, he's kind of weirdly he's weirdly out of place. Yeah. Mm. But, if, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it would have been a thing if he was just a if he was just a little bit later. Yeah. I honestly think that I think for me thinking about it. He, if like he he should have been if he was on in early SmackDown like beginning Origin at SmackDown he would be up there in Hall of Fame I think that's the time for him yeah like here here he he it's like a guy with his credentials his credentials in like the eighties is exceedingly modern yes yeah it, that, and and that's and that's really it's, the thing yeah like he is he is. 20 maybe even 30 years too early <laughs> to be to be running around in the american scene yes see that's the, that's the thing that's the thing i would say which is obviously new japan perfect fit mm. yes and i think he would have survived well into the 90s yes, yes. absolutely obviously the american scene wasn't really necessarily ready yet but also, we have to we have to combat with the fact that the American scene was obviously still heavily racist. Yes, in terms yeah. of opportunities up until, well, I mean, basically up until twenty nineteen. But yeah, that's a side point. But you know, if if something like one of the UWF promotions wasn't so cursed, and they didn't <laughs> just like die every year, and another one took its place with the same people. I think he could have made a really nice little niche for himself. Absolutely. Without Absolutely. question. I can, 
I could I could absolutely see Dan I can actually absolutely see Danielson attempting to punch his way through that brick wall. Yes. Yes. And dying. Just straight up dying. <laughs> but I could see him do it. Oh my god, Sam. What? Early two thousands ROH Bad News Brown. Yeah, that would actually I think Bad News Brown would have been the pillar of ROH at that point if Bad News Brown was in Ring of Honor. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, the the two the two I'm thinking of are early two thousand, like early early ROH Bad News Brown, mm. and I'm thinking the weird, the weird universe where Bad News Brown, like, intersects with the existence of a promotion like Hustle. <laughs> That's true. That's all Wrestle One for that matter. Yeah, like Wrestle <laughs> One Zero One or like Hustle. Just like that weird intersection of where like Japan has completely serious wrestling but with the dumbest shit. <laughs> I'm also I'm personally thinking about about the about how he would definitely be Doomsday to Sarah's Swiss Superman. Yes. yes. Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Chikara Bad News Brown. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been amazing. That would have... uh, the, the thing I'm thinking about, right, is keep everything the same. And I'm thinking about it like the time when Hustle had Mirko Krokop in a match. Yes, yes. And it, it was literally just Mirko Krokop being Mirko Krokop. <laughs> but everything else around him was just batshit. <laughs> It's it, it it's it's hilarious. You just got this guy who's a, like the most straight laced fighter, former Croatian special forces. Meanwhile, everything around him is insane, and he's just so, doing his thing. So basically, he's he. He sounds like he was the human in a Muppet movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that. that is very true. <laughs> that would be Chikara Bad News Brown. Yes. As it should have been. What's a big shame about this is that um, Alan was writing an autobiography during the t- during um, during the time oh, and never no. got to finish it. Unfortunately, oh, I would have loved to have read that. I know it. I, I would have been such a compelling read. I would have loved to have read that like several times. The audiobook version as well. I would have loved to. Have heard. <laughs> But alas, it was never finished, and I don't think it's going to get released anytime soon, which is a massive shame. If anyone's yeah. out there who is a fan or anyone who know, who knows uh, Alan's family, I, I, I mean, I'd be curious to see how far he got and what he was talking about. Failing that, go on to YouTube. He did do an RF video shoot video as well, which is such a really good watch. Cannot recommend that one enough. So go and find that on the internet and on YouTube, wherever you can find it. That is where we're going to end this episode. I am so happy because I told you this was going to be so interesting, but it ended up being so based. So good. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that I... Willing to bet that the pair of you and I are gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go fight bad news Brad slash bad news Alan matches now. Oh, this, this is a I'm bad just, news Brown just, stand stand podcast now. Bad news Brown UWFI. That's it. <laughs> oh man, I'm 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 so glad. So so glad. 
<laughs> anyway, to final and to cap off Black History Month 2022, for our next episode, we are going to be doing another great wrestlers you never knew. Now, if anyone saw on our socials, they know who it is that we're going to be uh, profiling. But to those who didn't, I'm going to keep it a little secret. Keep an eye on our Twitter on around midweek when this goes out to see who it is. I'm really excited for this one because it is a very different one to what we have done. But also, this guy kind of was my teenage years when I was watching independent wrestling as well. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm really excited to show you uh, to to know or to profile this guy. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. We will see you as always on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. Yeah.